So if you have a Bible, uh, you'll be in Proverbs 9. Last Sunday, we began a new series looking at the book of Proverbs. Last week, we looked at uh, the subject of wisdom. Today, we're going to look at the subjects of wisdom and foolishness and how Proverbs 9 contrasts that. And then the next seven weeks, we're going to look at different themes that Proverbs speaks to. Next Sunday, we're going to look at the subject of friendships. And so if you're not on a current Bible reading plan, I'd encourage you to begin reading the book of Proverbs. Read a chapter a day. It'll take about a month. But over that month, you will be intentionally receiving God's wisdom as well as intentionally being a person of the Word, being anchored to the Word and, and developing that rhythm in your life if that is a rhythm that isn't necessarily in your life right now. So a chapter a day. Wisdom and folly. Wise and foolish living. This is the ongoing contrast in the book of Proverbs. And, and the fool is never esteemed. The fool is never seen as an example to follow in this book. Rather, when Solomon talks about fools, we should have this picture in our, in our heads. I know that dates me. But I want you to have this picture in your head. We're talking about fools. How can I not potentially use this in this message? It's like T-ball. It's just hit it. You're welcome. It's sitting right there. You just got to hit the dumb thing, right? You got to use it. I try, I'll try not to beat a dead horse today using that. But Proverbs 9 draws two pictures for us. The way of wisdom, the way of foolishness. The way of wisdom leads to a feast. The way of foolishness leads to a funeral. Both are personified by two different women. And in these pictures that Proverbs 9 paints for us, these, wisdom, uh, these women, wisdom and folly, are calling to people with this. Whoever is inexperienced, enter here. Whoever is inexperienced, enter here. Imagine that life is a street and you're walking down this street and there are two doors that you can enter into, two paths that you can potentially take. And women are at their entrances. And they're calling out to you as you pass by, whoever is inexperienced, enter here. And if you choose the door or path of wisdom, it leads to a feast. If you choose the path of folly, it leads to a funeral. And the thing is, along the city sidewalk from the outside looking in, the doors look the same. Both are calling out to us. Enter here. Enter here. Enter here. And so as we look at this proverb, I want the Lord to reveal to us the beauty of wisdom and the absolute destructiveness of folly. And to help us diagnose and reveal characteristics of these paths so that we might Potentially, if we're on the path toward the funeral, we might get off the path and walk toward the path that leads to a feast, an abundant feast. The first six verses highlight the feast. The final six verses talk about foolishness and the funeral, and in between, talk about the characteristics of both the fool and the wise. So the first six verses in the CSB, describing the feast of wisdom, wisdom has built her house she has carved out her seven pillars. She has prepared her meat. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her female servants. She calls out from the highest points of the city. Whoever is inexperienced, enter here. To the one who lacks sense, she says, come, eat my bread and drink the wine I've mixed. Leave inexperience behind and you will live. Pursue the way of understanding. Wisdom is personified as a woman who is diligent, 
prepares, manages her home and servants, a woman who is hospitable and wants others to experience the goodness that she has prepared for them. Here's the truth I want you to see in this section. Wisdom satisfies. Wisdom satisfies. When we respond to the invitation from the Lord to enter into and pursue His wisdom, it leads us to satisfaction. Consider the picture of a feast. This doesn't sound like a terrible feast. It it sounds like quite the spread, actually. In that day, meat was not a typical thing on the dinner table. I grew up on meat and potatoes. I'm in the Midwest. In that day and age, meat was, if meat was on the table, this meant the dinner was special. It was not average. It was not mediocre. Wisdom satisfies. It's delicious. It delights. It fulfills. It pleases us. See, the devil would love for us to think, and the world is continually selling this lie to you, that our God, our good God, is a cosmic killjoy. It's a lie as old as Genesis 3. The lie that if we play outside the boundaries that God has designed and called us to live in, if we play outside the boundaries, that's where we experience life. The lie that life is most fulfilled out from underneath His good and loving authority. It's a lie from the pit of hell, trying to make us think that He is a cosmic killjoy. When the truth is, He is for our good, our joy, our life. Wisdom satisfies. And notice how bountiful and abundant this feast is. The entire city has been invited. If the entire city responds, the entire city will be satisfied. I'm married to a woman who, when she's preparing a meal for someone, when she's bringing a dish to be uh, shared with someone, when people are coming over, her logic is more is more. More is more. We will not run out of food if people are coming over. You will be able to have seconds, thirds, fourths if you would like. That dish could be passed around the table a few different times. She comes from a long line of women who say, we're going to have more than enough. She married into a line who also comes from a line of, we're going to have more than enough. I'm grateful. She's not going to be, hey, there's a quarter cup of this, and good luck getting that around the table. She's not going to scrimp. There's going to be plenty for everyone to enjoy, and such is the wisdom from the Lord that satisfies. It doesn't run out. There's an abundance for all to enjoy and feast on, and when we respond to the call of wisdom to enter in, we won't be let down, we won't be disappointed, we won't be dissatisfied. Again, the foolish lady of the world is continually calling out the lie that we're going to be let down. The foolish lady of the woman says, oh, come on, you need more stuff, you need newer, bigger, better stuff, and wisdom says, no, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment, not stuff, satisfies. The foolish woman at the doorway says, you know, sexual satisfaction is really found outside a covenant marriage between a husband and a wife. I mean, the greatest satisfaction is when you live for you or your core identity of a person is that you're just a sexual creature. That's all you are. You might as well just be a flesh-driven sexual creature. And wisdom says, no, I've read the Song of Solomon. I've read the Word of God that says sex is a gift from God. And within a Christ-centered marriage, it can lead to joy and satisfaction. The foolish woman says, hey, you know what you need in life? To take the edge off. 
to escape for a moment, to self-medicate, to fit in with the crowd, to get by just one more day. You know what you need is this created substance, both legal and illegal. You need a created substance to get by. And wisdom says, nah, freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ to live free from anything created. That's what satisfies. Wisdom calls out, verse 6, leave inexperience behind and you will live, pursue the way of understanding. See, in order to discover that wisdom satisfies, we also have to leave foolishness and inexperience behind. You don't realize that the feast of his wisdom satisfies until you leave the path toward the funeral, until you actually trust his word and say, I'm going all in. I'm going to repent. I'm going to actually trust you with my life, my 24-7 life. Not just deathbed moment. I'm going to trust you with my daily way of life. I'm going to pursue the way of understanding alongside believers who are on the same pursuit toward wisdom. Listen to Proverbs 13, 20. The one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools will suffer harm. Some of you, in an effort to leave inexperience behind, you need to break free from the companionship of fools. You don't have to be a jerk about it. Please don't be a jerk about it. You don't even have to say, I pity the fool to him. Please don't do that. That's probably the last time I'll say that today. Again, no guarantees. But in an effort to turn from harm and turn toward life, you need to walk with some like-minded people who are actually trying to pursue wisdom with you. You're on mission to the companionship of fools now. But if you partake, if, if that is the steady crowd that you run with, is fools, it will lead you to harm. That's exactly what Proverbs 13.20 says. The steady diet of the group and the crowd you run with, even if it's just one brother or sister in Christ, has to be that of a shared mindset of pursuing the wisdom of the Lord. Wisdom satisfies. Trust the word on that and live accordingly. Verses 7 through 12 gives us characteristics then of both the wise and the fool so that we might turn from foolish tendencies in our hearts and turn toward the practices of the wise Verse 7, the one who corrects a mocker will bring abuse on himself. The one who rebukes the wicked will get hurt. Don't rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke the wise and he will love you. Instruct the wise and he will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and he will learn more. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me your days will be many and years will be added to your life. If you're wise, you're wise for your own benefit. If you mock, you alone will bear the consequences. So the diagnostic, diagnostic questions that we need to ask as we look at that section of Scripture is this. How do you respond when you're wrong? And yes, sometimes you're wrong, just like I am. How do we respond when we need corrected? And yes, we are in need of correction sometimes. How do we respond when someone lovingly rebukes us? And yes, we are all in need of a loving rebuke at times. See, the fool and wise respond in, rad in two radically different ways as it relates to those questions. Throughout Proverbs, we see various titles given to, the, uh, given to describe the fool. Inexperienced, simple, the mocker. And when the mocker is corrected, 
in this case. When the mockers rebuked, called out, they don't humbly receive it, but they arrogantly reject it. They hate you for saying such a thing. And for instance, they cut you out of their life for calling them out. I've been cut out of people's lives before for calling them to repentance. The mocker turns around and hurts you. Oh yeah? Well, and then launches into a a tirade of personal attack to shift the focus away from self and onto someone else. The mocker, when corrected, will potentially abuse and harm you for saying something, whether that's physical, emotional, relational. I've been defensive before when called out, trying to justify the why or explain it away and flip the script, and all that does is reveal my own heart. All that does is reveal my own heart. A heart that, just like yours, is even though we're pursuing wisdom, at the same time, we need to be putting folly and arrogance to death. Because Jesus died for it on the cross so that we could put it to death. The fool is defensive, argumentative, quarrelsome, aggressive when called out. The wise, though, is appreciative, thankful, receptive, Humble when corrected or rebuked. Proverbs 15, 12 says, A mocker doesn't love one who corrects him. He will not consult the wise. Contrast that with Proverbs 9, 8, which says, Rebuke the wise and he will love you. Rebuke the wise and he will love you. Because the wise know they're saved by grace and not by works. So it isn't about public performance. Oh no, someone sees sin in my life. I know what I should do. I should do a better job of managing my image and keeping my sin hidden away as if that is what it means to follow Christ. No, it's a grace of God to have a brother or sister love you enough to step into a moment and say, I see this in your heart and life. I could be wrong, but here's what I see. I'm not coming from above. I'm coming alongside. I just see this in your heart, and I want to have a conversation about it. I want to hear your heart. I want to walk with you because we both fallen short of the glory of God. We both need the grace of God, so let's need one another as we pursue the Lord. Can we have a conversation about this? I'm not coming from on high. I'm coming from alongside. You catch what I'm saying? This is what it means to be the family of God, pursuing the wisdom of God together. Verse 9, instruct the wise, and he will be wiser still. Teach the righteous, and he will learn more. The wise are not just open counsel, They go get it. They go ask for it. They go seek it. They're prone to receive instruction, and in doing so, their understanding grows because the wise know they are not their own Lord. Instead, the wise know this truth, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord, meaning the reverence, the awe, the worship of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. That's where understanding grows. And you can't pursue wisdom apart from humility before the Lord. The beginning step of wisdom is falling at the feet of Jesus, declaring, I need you. Apart from you, I have no good thing. I trust in you and not in me. I love this promise given in verse 11. For by me, your days will be many and years will be added to your life. 
fear, reverence, worship of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And wisdom leads where? Life. It leads to life, eternal life, abundant life on this earth in Him. And then verses 13 through 18, we see the contrasting picture of the funeral of Folly. Folly is a rowdy woman. She's gullible and knows nothing. She sits by the doorway of her house on a seat at the highest point of the city, calling to those who pass by, who go straight ahead on their paths. Whoever's inexperienced, enter here. To the one who lacks sense, she says, stolen water, sweet, and bread eaten secretly is tasty, but he doesn't know that the departed spirits are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. This is not the same woman that's talked about in verses 1 through 6. This is such a contrast between the two. This woman who personifies foolishness, she is rowdy, gullible, knows nothing, and yet is still calling out to those who pass by, enter here, enter here, enter here. To the one who lacks sense, come on in. But while wisdom led to a feast of abundance and goodness, foolishness leads not to living water, but stolen water. Not to the bread of life, but to the bread of lies. And according to verse 18, the the guy who just gullibly walks on the path of folly is blind to the fact that the guests of this woman never depart. They just keep going downward and downward, more and more destructive paths, ultimately leading to death. The doorway looks the same on the outside. The destination is radically different. Wisdom satisfies verses 1 through 6. I want you to see here that wisdom or that foolishness enslaves in these final six verses. It gives the appearance that will satisfy at that doorway. When in reality, the sweetness and tastiness of folly quickly go away. They don't last. They don't fulfill. I have plenty of examples in my life that reveal that very truth. Oh, I thought that was going to taste sweeter, and now it just tastes bitter. Now I just feel condemned. Now I just feel guilt-ridden. I thought that was going to taste sweeter. The lie said it would. You have examples of this as well. As I imagine the scene, people responding to this rowdy woman of foolishness calling out, I think of Proverbs 14, 15. that says the inexperienced one believes anything, but the sensible one watches his steps. Or Proverbs 12, 11. That says, whoever chases fantasies lacks sense. The Hebrew word for chase means to pursue frantically, meaning you're obsessed with this. This is what you go, this is what you wake up thinking about. This is what you go to bed thinking about. The word fantasies refers to things that are empty, worthless pursuits. Boy, they look good on the outside. At the doorway, in the advertisement, in the workplace, they lead one place downward. Downward. Downward to enslavement. Proverbs 22.3, a sensible person sees danger and takes cover. But the inexperienced just keeps on going and are punished. Wisdom satisfies foolishness and slaves. These two paths are not neutral. One leads to a feast, one to a funeral. Proverbs 4.7 says wisdom is supreme. So get wisdom. Whatever you get, get understanding. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Our relationship with the Lord Jesus and dwelling in and reading of His Word in the context 
of both our personal devotional lives and our shared community here in the local church. These are the bedrocks of how we grow in wisdom. I want to share with you an idea called the Wisdom Pyramid. It comes from a book by Brett McCracken that he released a couple over the past couple years. But to me, it gives a good picture of how we pursue, practically speaking, God's wisdom and how the scriptures have to be foundational to that. And local church has to be foundational. So, so think food pyramid uh, as you watch this video. So I want to talk about the, the bottom two layers and then the top one. So the scriptures are daily bread. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's through his word that we grow to understand who the Lord is more and more and grow in our knowledge and our worship of and our love for and our devotion to him. Church, both the local church here, but also, as important, the global church throughout all the history of humanity. McCracken writes this, it's important for our sanity in today's world that we are grounded in physical, regular community. The local church provides this. The local church provides us with access to wise people who we can know and be known by, who we can have conversations with in physical presence. The embodied rhythms of worship and liturgy in a local church are also important sources of truth. He goes on, the, the other aspect of church that gives us sanity is its historical continuity, time-tested theology. It's the reassurance that we are not reinventing the wheel here. There are church practices and beliefs that have been practiced and believed for 2,000 years. We need to surround ourselves with these. We need to listen to the voices of wise people in Christian history who have come before us. We need to cling to this continuity as a foundation for our wisdom. And then finally, at the top of the pyramid, internet and social media. For internet use, focus on trusted sources, content recommended by wise people. For social media, use sparingly. Think the food pyramid. If you're just pounding candy and sugar all the time, it leads to some real volatile spikes, does it not? You're like, this is awesome. This is terrible. I need more sugar. This is awesome. This is terrible. Up and down. And this is what happens when social media is your grounding foundation. This is awesome. This is terrible. This is a great day. It's a bad day. Up and down, just ultra-volatile. Now, too often, we've got this, this whole thing upside down. We think that an upside-down pyramid will actually lead to wisdom. Instead, when we try to operate with social media as the so-called foundation of the content we consume, our lives are going to be like this top, just teetering back and forth. I love that hashtag. I hate that hashtag. This is trending. This is not trending. Just go just teetering back and forth. This is what I've seen in so many loved ones in the past couple years. It's just a teetering top depending on what the day or week or main news item is. McCracken writes this. One thing you'll notice about this wisdom pyramid is that it goes from the most enduring at the bottom to the most fleeting. God is eternal, so he should be the base of wisdom. The church has been around for 2,000 years, and it will outlive the universe. Nature and beauty have been around and will be for a long time. Books are more of a recent invention in history, but many of them have lasted for centuries. The internet and social media, 
Well, they are fickle things changing every day. So orient your knowledge diet around the things that endure, that are timeless, that are ancient and yet relevant day in and day out to our lives. This week, I'll share with you um, a link in the connection email with some, all right, that's great. What do we do with that? And uh, encourage, hopefully that's an encouragement to you. Also, before you leave, I have four copies of that book. I'd love to get one to you, so see me afterwards. The gospel tells us that while we were made in the image and likeness of our God, fearfully and wonderfully made, we chose to believe the lie that apart from the Lord, that life apart from Him would actually be satisfying. We believed that lie when in reality our sin and rebellion led to a separation. It led to enslavement. We're born fools, but by God's grace, He alone has the power to rescue fools like you and me and set our feet on a different path to rescue us from the depths of darkness, bring us into His marvelous light, to give us a new heart that is tender toward His Word, tender toward grace and truth, a new spirit within us to remove the heart of stone and pride. Proverbs 4.23 tells us that from our hearts, everything in our lives flow from it. Our words, our actions, our thoughts. And the good news of the gospel is that through faith alone and by grace alone, our hearts can be made new. Where once we were all fools, saying there is no God, now we are wise in Christ, living in the awe of our triune God who is alive and active and who has rescued us. Where once we were fools, despising wisdom and correction and rebuke, now we are wise in Christ, pursuing wisdom, welcoming correction, seeking after counsel. Where once we were fools chasing after empty and worthless idols, now we are wise in Christ, seeking to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Heavenly Father, we want to we pray this morning for our sisters in Christ. May you be generous in giving them wisdom and understanding from you. May they be women who walk in wisdom, speak wisdom, and reveal your understanding to those around them. May they be women who revere you, live in awe of you, and love you with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. May they be women of prayerful dependence in the prayers that they are laying before you on a consistent basis. Lord, may those come to pass for the good of those who they are praying for and for your glory. To those who grieve today, may you comfort. To those who suffer today, may you strengthen. To those who wait today, may you sustain them and give them peace. To those who rejoice today, may you grow them in a God-oriented gratitude. Father, we lift up the women in our lives and alongside us in this local church. We give you praise for them. May they be women who find their strength and hope in you and you alone. Bless the work of their hands and the ministry and mission you've called them to. Thank you that they are fearfully and wonderfully made in you. As they dwell in your word, may you remind them over and over how greatly loved they are by you and who they are in Christ. And out of that unchanging identity in Christ, may the activity of their lives bring good to those around them, bring them joy and you glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Proverbs 4, starting in verse 5. Get wisdom, get understanding. Don't forget or turn away from the words from my mouth. Don't abandon wisdom and she will watch over you. Love her, and she will guard you. Wisdom is supreme, so get wisdom.
And whatever else you get, get understanding. Cherish her and she will exalt you. If you embrace her, she will honor you. She will place a garland of favor on your head and she will give you a crown of beauty. Let us be people who pursue and get wisdom this week as we have opportunity.